rainy spring morning. All right, let's open our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you are good. You are so good um, uh, that you are uh, goodness itself. Lord, as we'll see today, our sin deserve uh, nothing um, but your wrath and your judgment. But out of your love and your goodness and your mercy, uh, you uh, heal us, uh, that you take away our sins and clothe us with your righteousness. Uh, you uh, give us uh, a perfect prophet, priest, and king, even as we study the words of your prophet uh, this morning. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, teach us by your spirit. May the same spirit that spoke to the prophet Jeremiah uh, speak to us this morning. Uh, guide us into all things uh, concerning your truth. Uh, help us, uh, most of all, to see our, our sin, uh, to help us repent of it, uh, and help us to trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so for the last uh, several weeks, we've been in a section of the book of Jeremiah in which Jeremiah has been detailing his encounters with um, various false prophets uh, who have been uh, proclaiming a message that is completely counter or opposite to that of Jeremiah. Um, and Jeremiah's repeated warnings to the people over the past several chapters has been uh, it's a lie that they're prophesying to you, don't listen. Um, these prophets, by telling the people what they wanted to hear rather than presenting the true word of God, they were actually causing Judah's situation to grow worse and increasing the tribulations that the nation would suffer. In chapter 29, last week, uh, we saw Jeremiah writing a letter uh, to the exiles, uh, that group of exiles who had been taken into captivity, uh, telling them to settle into life and exile, for it would be 70 years before they would return. Uh, he told them they should build houses, plant gardens, be fruitful and multiply, and perhaps most controversially, as we talked about, they should seek the welfare of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Meanwhile, in Babylon, other prophets were telling the exiles that they would not be in Babylon a long time. They would only be there a short time, that Nebuchadnezzar would soon disappear. Uh, the people would re be returning to Jerusalem with all the things that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the temple. And once again, we saw in chapter 29, God warning the people, uh, do not listen to the lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Uh, God singled out at the end of chapter 9, Shemaiah, uh, who was one of these false prophets in exile, uh, who responded to Jeremiah's letter by writing a letter to the temple officials, um, calling Jeremiah mad and wanting the temple guard to arrest him and put him in the stocks. And for this uh, act of rebellion, God said that none of Shemaiah's family would experience the blessings of that prophesied restoration. Now, we enter into a new section of Jeremiah today in chapter 30. Chapters 30 through 33 uh, are sometimes called 
uh, the Book of Consolation, uh, as we'll see uh, in just a bit as we read it. Uh, he's actually told to write these words into a book, and that this, thus the Book of Consolation. Um, most of Jeremiah's uh, um, prophecy in the first 29 chapters have been focused on judgment with little glimpses of restoration here and there. Uh, Jeremiah has repeatedly warned the people to turn from their sins and to turn toward God, or else God would unleash the curses of the covenant upon them. In the next few chapters, uh, the focus is going to be on the blessings that come from a right relationship with God. God wounds his people in judgment for their sins, but he's the only one who can cure and restore them. And uh, he's the kind of center point of this four-chapter section is in uh, chapter 31, where Jeremiah will say he'll um, um, make this new covenant that he will write on their hearts. All right, so with that as a word of introduction, uh, hear now the word of God um, from Jeremiah chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why is every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there's none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten me. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry over your hurt? Your pain is incurable, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, I, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, 
and all who prey on you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, it is Zion for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving, and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all those who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves, their ruler shall come out from their midst, and I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So in verses 3 and 4, uh, we're told that these prophecies are for God's people, uh, Israel and Judah. Uh, and it's uh, important that um, we've shifted from a focus on just Judah to now this redemptive focus on the entirety of the people of God. Um, and he's telling them about uh, what's going to happen uh, in those days, as he says, in um, days are coming, in verse 3, uh, verse um, 8, it shall come to pass in that day. So we're looking um, to this particular uh, day. So what does God want his people to know about these coming days or this coming day? What are the characteristics of what's going to happen on that day? Everybody's jumping right in. <laughs> yeah, Cynthia. Yeah, so um, there will be this restoration. They'll come back. Behold, I will save you from far away and for your offsprings from the land of their captivity. So there will be a, a restoration. Before restoration, though, what else do we get on that day? Restoring the fortunes of the people. And that, that's going to be the key, key word. Um, uh, you know, verse 3, I will restore the fortunes of my people. Restore is going to be like one of those uniting words that are connecting these four chapters together. He's blessing them again. He, he's turning uh, toward them. Um, you know, it, it's this day, I will break his yoke from off your neck and I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no longer make a servant of him. So it's a day of restoration, a day when uh, God once again is showing his favor to his people. Uh, he's once again blessing them. Good, what else? 
yeah, there's a restoration of the king. Um, and, and all of it is, uh, is directed toward their serving the Lord. And notice here, uh, like the last couple of chapters, we've seen God referring to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. Um, but here, uh, it's, it's, it's Jacob, it's Israel uh, who's his, his servant. And it's, as, as we think about this day and the things that are going to happen in, at this moment, it is going to be a restoration, but it's fundamentally going to be a restoration of people in their right relationship to God. You're all focused on the good things that are going to happen today. <laughs> what else happens on that day? Yeah, so, uh, yes, um, I will make full end of the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. So it's a day of judgment. Um, it, and the judgment that's falling on them is uh, it's for, the, for uh, the purpose of discipline, um, but uh, it, it's, it's making a full end of the nations scattering you. Go, go back up to look at verses 5 through 7. Does this sound like a happy day? Thus says the Lord, we've heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Um, and it gives you this image of, <laughs> I love this question, ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Uh, then why do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So it's a day of restoration. It's a day of, of right relationship, but it's also a day of, of terrible judgment. Um, and you, you know, that's frightening this person uh, so, so much that they, they look like they're in the anguish of giving birth. Um, it, it's a, a day their face has gone completely sheet white pale. Um, so as we think of this day of salvation, it's not being presented as something separate or disconnected from the day of judgment. The day of God's wrath and judgment being poured out is also the means by which God saves and delivers his people. Um, so as we think about that day, it's, in one sense, terrible. We heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. And there can't be peace when there's sin in the land. There, that sin has to be judged. It has to be uh, taken care of in full measure. It has to be punished. It can't, they can't have peace and go unpunished for their sin. So it's a day of, of terror and judgment. Uh, it's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So it's this um, picture of, um, you know, this terrible wrath of God being poured forth, but in that wrath being poured forth, that's the mechanism by which God's people will be restored and restored uh, not just to the land, but restored, uh, have a, a restored king over them. Uh, David, 
their king whom I will raise up for them. They shall serve the Lord their God. I think five through seven is a fuller description of three. So if you kind of think of, for behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Um, so that's kind of like the overall heading um, of what's going to happen. And now we're going to, he goes into what it looks like. Um, and as often happens, he's looking... Um, at the proximate, which is their return from Babylon, as well as the ultimate, which is, there's, I mean, the, there are prophecies of Jesus in here, that reference to David, their king. David is a messianic reference. Um, so, you know, like, they're not getting, you know, like, David's not crawling out of his tomb and coming back on the throne. <laughs> um, but out of that line of David, God will raise up their, their true king, their eternal king. So, so as we think about, like, the verse, verse 3 kind of gives the overall picture of God's restoring purposes, and then we start getting into what those details look like. Um, and his restoration involves, you know, isn't a, a restoration ignoring their sin, it's a restoration that takes care of their sin. Um, he doesn't bring them back He's not promising to, to bring them back um, still, uh, um, still afflicted with the disease of sin, but he is going to take that which is incurable in them and cure it, um, as we see. So as we think about the, the day um, is not one day only when God's activity um, comes, uh, but it's this, this, this description, the whole period of time that embraces God's judgment and his final deliverance and restoration of his people to the land. Um, and, you know, it, you have this reference back to um, what we talked about in chapters 27 and 28. Uh, the day's coming, I will break the yoke from off your neck. So remember, Jeremiah was wearing the yoke around <laughs> um, uh, to, to indicate how God was going to subject his people, put them in submission to these other nations. Um, and he's saying, in that day, that yoke of submission will be broken. Um, you will serve me. You will serve the, my king. You won't be serving um, these foreigners uh, who, who are trying to make you their servants. You'll, you'll be, your service, your submission will be to me. Um, and my yoke you'll wear, not the yoke of the nations, not this yoke of oppression that's been placed upon you, um, but the yoke of gentleness as um, Jesus gives his, his, his yoke, uh, his burden that we have to carry is easy and light comparatively.
Yeah, I, the way I, I read it is, all right, it's, it's, it's God's judgment, his wrath being poured out against sin. And we will see that, that judgment and wrath um, in its pure, uh, terrifying <laughs> degree. Um, and I think it, it, it makes us, it's there to make us realize that we too are deserving of that, that frightening, <laughs> terrifying wrath. Like we're no different from anyone else in the sense that uh, we deserve that wrath. Uh, we're different because we have one who's taken that wrath upon us. So as we think of, again, it's, it's, his, it's not a, I don't think it's a temporal thing like we have to go through one to get to the other. It's, it's judgment and salvation come with a single sword. <laughs> um, so, so as we think about that, that day in which Israel will be saved and, and we as those grafted in people to, into Israel will be saved, we will see, the again, the terrifying judgment of God and yet will be saved from that terrible judgment of God. We will see how horrible it is to suffer the, the wrath of God, and we'll see how great a salvation we have that, that Jesus took that, sal that wrath upon himself for our salvation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, we're all going to be like saints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... I mean, kind of think of like, you know, when, uh, you know, the, the descriptions that, that come, like, it, it doesn't, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's a triumphal return, but it's also like, we'll be seeing Jesus in a different way. We'll be seeing him in his fullness of his, his deity, which includes the righteous wrath of God. And as it's repeated here over and over again, um, that, you know, their, their sin uh, uh, has to be um, paid for. Like, the anger of God will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand us. <laughs> so I think it's one of those things, like, you know, it's it's hard for us to admit envision now, but I think the the way again, it's like just like you can't have separate the two sides of a penny. <laughs> um, you know, you can't separate God's judgment and salvation uh, coming all at once. Like, and it's the same blow. The blow he's striking in judgment is the blow he cites striking in salvation. And it works for um, the people of Israel in time. He's going to strike down Babylon. Um, and that by striking down Babylon, he's going to save his people and allow them to be restored to their land. Um, so it's happening in time at that particular moment Jeremiah is looking forward to, but he's also looking forward to this ultimate moment where God's ultimate wrath and judgment is poured, about, poured out on the nations and it restores his people to their permanent home, a permanent Jerusalem. 
There's a lot of Isaiah in here. Um, for those of you who recently studied Isaiah, there are a lot of similarities to what he's saying about that day. Um, if, if you're interested, um, well, we can turn to some of these maybe. So Isaiah uh, 41, let's start there. Verses 8 of 10. Um, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you who I took to the end, from the ends of the earth and called you from the farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. So, like, it's, it's looking forward to this, this, this moment where God will once again show his full favor to his people because their sin has been removed from them. So we, we get uh, the images of what the day looked like. We also get in words and images describing the condition of God's people. So uh, what is, what's the condition of God's people um, that Jeremiah is describing here? Yeah, Dave. Uh, a little past verse 11. I mean, we can talk about verse 11. That, and, and notice again, the idea is the, the difference between how he's treating them and the nations. I'll make a full end of the nations among whom I've scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you. <laughs> yeah, and, it's his, and his, his, his punishment of his people, uh, as it says, is in just measure. Like, it's, God is precise. <laughs> like, he's giving his people exactly um, the, the discipline they need to restore them to their right relationship with him. Yeah, and every temptation, there's a way out. Like, you know. He, he doesn't give you more than you can handle, and there, he always provides that pathway out of the temptation. So it's the faithfulness of God, and that's the, the image. His people, we've been talking about for the last 29 pages, <laughs> or chapters, um, are faithless. Um, and yet, God is faithful in his restoration of, of his people, and he's remembering this covenant that they've forgotten, and he's fulfilling its terms to restore them and bring them back. Um, and part of the reason it has to be him is because of the condition in which the, the people are in. So what, what is that condition? And this is like starting verse 12 going forward. Like, How does he describe the condition of the people? 
hopeless. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, um, look at the how it it multiplies uh, the words here. Um, you know, <laughs> as one commentator put put it, an astounding number of metaphors are <laughs> introduced to show how desperate, how hopeless Israel's case is. Your hurt is incurable. Your wound is grievous. There's none to uphold your cause. No medicine for your wound, no healing for you. Um, so it's, it's describing them uh, as people who have been um, mortally wounded. And there's no, there's no cure, there's no healing. Um, it's, uh, to use Alicia's word, hopeless. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. Um, no one's coming to your aid, <laughs> to your help. Uh, you know, you put your, the idea of lovers here is, is kind of political um, primarily. It also could be a reference to the false deities that they've gone after. We've seen them uh, adulterate themselves going after these false gods. Egypt's not coming to help you against Babylon. Uh, Edom's not going to come help you. All those people you've been plotting with, there's no one to aid you. Um, uh, uh, you know, your, your pain is incurable. Uh, your guilt is great because your sins are flagrant. Um, so, you know, it's no court will take their case, no medicine will bring a cure, no physician can heal the wound, no lovers are left to come to their aid, all of which is, you know, anything human, physical, there's nothing to rescue them from their condition. Yeah, Cynthia. Yeah, so he's describing there's no one, like you, there's no one to cure you until I put, you know, put the person there. And, you know, here it's, it's starting off, it's, it's God who is being, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal. So it's this, he's telling us um, Twice, <laughs> your, your, your wounds are incurable, your pain is incurable, like there's no cure until God cures you. <laughs> like, it's the idea, um, you know, uh, with, with man, like it's impossible, but with God, God has, has made it possible for these incurable hurts to be cured, for their incurable pain to be taken away from them. Um, for their dead condition to be restored to health. 
Um, the only way that's going to happen is if God makes it happen. So as we think of this day of restoration, it's a restoration um, that the people themselves can't bring about. Like it's, like it's, you know, it's, maybe you've done this. Like, uh, you know, you bro- oh, I broke it. It's unrepairable. And then Jay comes along and is like, no, let me fix it. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's not um, hyperbole uh, uncurable. It really is a grievous, uncurable wound. Um, and it's a wound that God himself has brought. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, I have done these things to you. So, you know, their, their sin has brought this uh, punishment upon them, um, and now it's God who is the one who brings about the restoration. The same God who, who brings judgment against their sin, righteous judgment against their sin, is the same God who will have compassion on them, the same God who will restore them. Um, you know, and I, I love the, the contrast here. Like earlier on, you know, they're crying out um, in, in pain. Um, and then when we get to verse 19, out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. Um, they're uh, being called and labeled an outcast, uh, you know, a, a people, Zion, for whom no one cares, and yet God uh, cares for them, uh, and God will punish those who oppress them. Uh, it's this you know, beautiful picture of deserved pain for sin, but, but God is is bringing the, the remedy uh, to cure that uncurable ill within us. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, notice we're not told exactly um, when he said these things, wrote them down. <laughs> um, so, so, and there's a lot of debate, like, uh, I try to, to avoid, like, making you go through the slog of how different commentators debate these things. Um, but there are at least three different options that have been for, put forward for, for when this is, or when Jeremiah is saying this. Uh, so one option is after everybody's been taken into captivity. Um, so, you know, it, it's all... The judgment has already come. The wounds have already been suffered. Um, and now Jeremiah is kind of in a position to, to look in, in hope of this restoration. Um, so that's like, so it comes after the exile. Uh, another viewpoint is it's coming during um, that final assault of Babylon. Um, on Jerusalem when Jeremiah is imprisoned, as we'll see. Um, so he can't go out and proclaim a message. Uh, it's that in that period, Jeremiah is barred from seeing the king <laughs> and so has to write him. <laughs> um, so, so some people look at the fact that he's having to write this in a book uh, is an indication that he himself 
cannot present this message to the people. So, so you've got after exile, uh, during the, the process of exile taking place, and then others are like, no, this is before. Like it's, it's looking forward to, so the, the punishment hasn't come, and, and thus the restoration hasn't come either. So, so as we think about like how people would under, understand it, it, it kind of matters where they are in that process maybe. Like um, if, it, if you haven't suffered the judgment yet, and as we've seen, they continually deny that any judgment is coming. That will never happen. Um, God will never abandon uh, the Davidic kingship. God will never abandon the temple. God will never abandon Jerusalem. Um, and, and God is saying, no, <laughs> I told you this is what would happen if you persist in your sin. And you deny that <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, as we think about it, it's going to be both, I think. They're going to see it as the immediate restoration, um, because clearly that's in, in, in view. I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Um, they're going to come back. They're going to have uh, Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Um, you know, uh, where is it? They're the, the hill... Um, the city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. So there will be a physical restoration um, to the land. And, and clearly, he's, they're going to hear it, especially if they're already experiencing exile and captivity. They're going to look at, to that particular moment. But he clearly has more than that moment uh, in mind. And I think we see more than that moment in mind by the character of the, the ruler who's going to put over them. Um, like this, again, this reference to David. Um, it's that, that use of David is a reference to the Messiah, and that's how it's uh, ultimately going to be understood in, in Israel's um, future that, well, that first restoration didn't seem like this. <laughs> um, we didn't get the full bounty that came from that first restoration. So there will be yet this other restoration where the Messiah comes and inaugurates this perfect era. Um, so, so I think in the moment they're in, they're looking forward to that, again, the proximate restoration. Um, obviously, from where we are, this side of the cross, we can look at it and we see... Um, Jesus in these verses. So he's talking about the coming of this Messiah um, who will uh, be the, the means by which his people uh, enter into that permanent blessing. Um, yeah, Dave. So look down in verse 21. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near and he shall approach me. 
For who will dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So as you think, a, a king could not enter into the Holy of Holies. A king cannot approach uh, into the presence of God. Uh, for who, of him, who would dare of himself to approach me? Um, but this prince will, will draw near. Uh, it's not just a king, it's a priest uh, king is the image we're being given here because it's the priest uh, who can enter into the presence of God. And so he's looking at um, this, this future prince who shall be, again, one of the people. He's not a ruler from the outside. One of themselves, he will come out of their midst. I will make him draw near. He shall approach me for who of them dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And the goal of it all is verse 22, which is this, again, going all the way back to Abraham, this covenant language, you shall be my people and I will be your God. Like, so this, this restoration um, is, and this is a, um, founded on the, the promise to Abraham, founded on that vision that God gives to Abraham of a multiplied people who will be God's own treasured possession. That, and again, it's, it's not just a restoration to the land. It's not just a restored city. It's not just having an earthly king. It's being the people of God and having God um, be their possession. That's the most important thing that's going to come from this is that they will belong to God, and God will belong to him, to them. All right. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I had a question on that, so we'll skip that question. <laughs> um, so the, although this section is called the Book of Consolation, um, it also has verses like verse 23, um, which describes how the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed, until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. So, yeah, how can we take comfort uh, or consolation in that coming day of judgment? in which the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back. So, All right, flesh that out for me. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get what you're...
Yeah, and I think that, that gets at the, in the latter days, you'll understand this. Like, when you're in the midst of it, you can't, you can't understand it. Um, you know, it's, it's inconceivable. <laughs> Stop using that word. Um, uh, it's, yeah, and none of them can, can see it. It's only in the last days, uh, in the latter days, you know, that understanding of this, this perspective will finally be available to us because it's hard to, to, it's especially hard to believe it when you're like them, you're in the middle of it. Um, uh, yeah, there, there is no end to, of, or of, of and injustice in this world. Um, so it's, it's hard to imagine uh, the perfect peace that's going to come, but God is going to execute his judgment and it will be accomplished. And so we have to like, you know, it's, it's consoling us in the midst of the tribulations of this life to trust in God's uh, coming uh, accounting. It's like the, you know, the martyrs uh, in, in Revelation uh, under the altar. How long, O oh Lord? Uh, the crying out, like, but knowing it, it is going to come to pass. Yes, yeah, Cynthia. And it's our hope too. <laughs> um, it, the hope in, in in this God who will not uh, turn His judgment back, like because again, the the act of judgment is is what delivers us as well. Like again, as we think about as we celebrated um, Easter a couple weeks ago, that moment is is God's wrath and judgment falling upon Jesus, that wrath and judgment that we ourselves deserve. And it's through God's pouring out his wrath upon his son that we are saved. Um, so it's that the, the, the coming of the judgment is the instrument of our salvation. Uh, and that's, that's where our hope lies um, in that, that, that judgment by which we are delivered to eternal life. I mean, generally speaking, the way I think of latter days is the last stage of human existence before the judgment. I think that's the, 
And we're, I mean, it's hard for us because in, in the words, it's begun, that process has begun and it hasn't reached its full completion. Um, yeah, so it's, we're, we're, we're living in these last days now, but there's also a not yet component to them. Um, so that's, that's what's hard for us. Like it's Christ's kingdom has been inaugurated, but it has not come yet in its fullness. Um, so, you know, we have, we're living in that, that kingdom now. Um, he has established his reign, um, but there is this not yetness uh, to it. So it's, and I know it's, it's hard and it might seem like I'm trying to cheat. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but that's the way, and it, I, I'm like this, that, that phrase, I can't even remember what, New Testament theologian came up with with the the phrase now and not yet, um, but that's that's the way it, you know thinking, especially from a New Testament perspective, that's how we uh, I think are supposed to think of the last day. We are in the last days. Um, we're equipped to live in the last days, um, and but we're also equipped to long for the coming of of Jesus. Uh, to come and inaugurate that, that kingdom in its fullness and visibility. Um, he has established um, his, his throne. Like, you know, he's, he's at the right hand of the Father. Um, we don't see the full final judgment yet. So that's still coming. But the process by which it's, it will come has been started. Um, it's kind of like... Um, I'm trying to think. It's like you, uh, if I'm trying to think of movie references that aren't so obscure that <laughs> there's a scene I love in the um, uh, there's a movie Harrison Ford's in it called Force Ten from Navarone. It's a World War II movie uh, where they're they're this commando team and they're going to blow up this dam in Yugoslavia, um, and they. They go into the dam, they, they put in all these, exp or actually they're there to take out a bridge, sorry. Um, but to take out the bridge, they realize they don't have the explosives for that, but they re realize they have the explosives to destroy the dam, which then will sweep away the bridge. So they go in, they set off the explosives, they think it's gonna be suicide because, you know, they're not gonna have time to get out. They need to blow the, the dam at that moment. So they set off the explosives and like nothing happens. And then all of a sudden you see a crack and some water start to squirt through. <laughs> then they start running. <laughs> and then there's another crack. So it's sort of like the dam is, is, is um, as good as destroyed at that moment, but it's not destroyed yet. Like, so it's kind of like that idea. Like the, cr the crack of God's kingdom has, has brought light uh, into the world, and and we don't yet see that light in its fullness and its brightness and in its consuming wrath, um, but it it's entered into this dark world. So um, we're we're at we're at dawn on that day. Maybe that's the way to think of it.
Yeah, and I think, especially thinking of this passage in Jeremiah, like, we don't, like, even when we grieve for our sin, we don't see how grievous our sin is. Like, we don't see how hateful, how, uh, how an affront of it is to before a holy, holy, holy God. Um, we make light of it. Um, like, I, uh, like it, it was one of those things, I saw this, um, this story about this Easter, horrible Easter service of this church down in Texas, where, like, literally there are people twerking <laughs> and and the pastor is like, well, I, I wanted to get up as close to sin as possible without sinning. Like that mindset to me is is incomprehensible, and I think like that's what we'll understand. Like, no, like you want to be as far away from sin as possible. But but that attitude, I think, reveals our attitude that we don't see how truly horrible. Our sin is. We, eh, you know, who did I really hurt? Uh, you know, you know, it, eh, small thing. It's a horrible, grievous thing. So, so one, I don't think we truly understand how horrible our sin is and how deserving the, the extent of wrath that that sin deserves. Which also means we don't understand how great a Savior we have. Like, we don't understand the depths of pain he endured on that cross for us. Like, so when we, like, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, we're, we, there's so much for us to see. Like, we can acknowledge our sin now and repent of it and trust in Christ and believe he took it away from us. But I, I think once we see how much wrath <laughs> our sin deserves, uh, I, I don't think we'll truly understand how great a savior we have. Um, and that is, again, like something to really look for. Like it's, it's why we'll spend eternity worshiping uh, our, our, our God and savior because we will fully understand at that time what he has done for us. We have an understanding now because he's come and he he did die for us, and he showed his love for us. Like, we have tangible, unlike them, we have tangible, visible proof of, of God's love for us because he sent his son and killed him and raised him from the dead so that we, too, could have life with him. Like, so, again, we, we see more than they saw um, because, uh, again, we, we're this side of, of Christ's coming. Um, but we, too, haven't seen it all yet. All right, uh, well, let me uh, close our time uh, with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we do uh, thank you for that uh, great uh, redemption. We confess um, that uh, um, all the disease of our sin, the wound of our sin uh, is uncurable. Uh, that there is uh, no remedy for it until you, uh, with whom all things are possible, um, made a remedy, made a cure in the person of our Savior Jesus Christ, who as uh, our perfect priest uh, could enter into your presence and make intercession for us and indeed 
make a perfect sacrifice uh, for all time for our sin um, by sacrificing himself on the cross. Um, but we also uh, praise you for how he is our king, uh, that you have set him to rule over us, to rule over our hearts, uh, give us hearts uh, to, to serve him, to, to not turn our hearts to the things of the world, uh, to other gods who are no god at all and serve them. Help us not turn to um, you know, the kingdoms of this earth and think that um, by po politics uh, that we can save or deliver ourselves, but help us to trust in Christ alone, for indeed uh, he is the only one uh, who can bring perfect uh, peace uh, through the execution of your perfect wrath and judgment. Uh, help us even now uh, to worship our, our risen Savior uh, and help us uh, with those, those martyrs to cry out how long uh, and help us to cry out, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, for that is the longing of our hearts uh, and we lift uh, these cries up to you in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.